Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the key features of Arthur Schopenhauer's essay on the basis of morality is his identification of three fundamental incentives, Triebfedern in German, for human actions. These are, you could say, the overarching motives that yield to us all the other motives that in a more intermediary sense are what are going to directly lead to our actions in concrete situations. But these are sort of overarching everybody, well, Hopefully everybody has these. Everyone at least has the potential for these. You could call them meta motives, whatever you want. These are the things that really drive us, right? Trieb is a drive by itself. And so these are fundamental sources. You could also say another translation for them. And he brings these up at several points, but he gives it the furthest elaboration and application within part three, because there he is developing not a metaphysics, but an ethics of compassion by opposition to these anti-moral motives or incentives, which he's just analyzed in a earlier chapter of that. And he's going to bring up some things that he's willing to call axioms. Uh, he says, I'll mention a few premises of, you know, the proof that I would give that are the hypotheses of the argument and may well be regarded as axioms. And what is an axiom? It's something that you take as a starting point. It might be unproven, just asserted, but it's going to be fruitful for you to follow it out and see where it goes. The two axioms that he discusses that are most applicable, and this is in um, chapter 16, a statement and proof of the only genuinely moral incentive where he's going to actually talk about these fundamental incentives. So are three and four. Three runs. What moves the will is simply weal and woe in general and is taken in the widest sense of the term, just as conversely weal and woe signify in agreement with or contrary to a will. Hence, every motive must have a reference to weal and woe. So that's the, the payoff there. Every motive of the person that is acting must have reference to weal and woe in general. Now, there's two things to, to say here before we go on. One is that this is more or less in accordance with all sorts of understandings of the will as being this kind of general faculty that aims at the good or avoids the bad in general. You know, you can see this in Thomas Aquinas just as much as you can see, say, in Kant or people like that and everybody in between. And another thing is the terminology. So the wheel, that means goodness, right? Something good for you. Wohl in German. And there's a lot of compositions of Wohl in this book, Wohlheit, you know, attaining goodness for a person. And that's indeed what egoism aims at in some respects, one's own 
wohl or let's call it goodness, things that are good for you, right? Wheel is an old-fashioned term for that. Woe is another old-fashioned term. You may know the locution, woe is me. And when you say that, you're saying, things suck for me. And the German for that is wehe, right? Which conveys more or less the same content, something that's not good, something that's bad for you, something that's harmful, something that hurts you. And so motives have reference to wheel or woe in general. So it could be your own or it could be others. And the other thing that he says that's particularly important here, this is in number four, every action refers to and has as its ultimate object, what it is directed towards a being susceptible to wheel and woe. So it's not just creating goodness, creating badness. It's generating a state that is good or bad or a feeling or however we want to frame it for a being. And then we can move on and look at these fundamental incentives, which he's going to talk about in just a few pages. So he says that there are generally only three fundamental incentives of human actions and all possible motives operate solely through their stimulation. What are these? Well, there's egoism, egoismus, which, you know, we'll talk about in just a moment. It's not just a simple generic kind. There's all sorts of types of egoism. There is malice, bosheit, literally badness, right? Or evil, an evil state. And then there's compassion, mitleid. And this is something absolutely central for Schopenhauer's ethics. You're going to see this term over and over and over again throughout this work. And Schopenhauer is saying every human action must be attributed to one of these. These are the fundamental motivators for human beings. This is what gives us the ways in which we actually make our choices, the ways we behave, the ways we prioritize, even the ways we think about what I ought to do or what I ought not to do. So he tells us Every human action must be attributable. That is, we can say, aha, this is coming from this. Now, I want to point out, Schopenhauer is not saying that we're all mind readers and that in every single case of looking at another human being or, or even at ourselves, we automatically, intuitively, unequivocally know precisely which of these three motives is going on. There's, you know, even within our own life, we can think that we're acting out of compassion when really we're acting out of egoism. You know, for example, we might be protecting somebody from bullying by going up to the bully and punching him right in the face. That might actually be malice <laughs> rather than the compassion we tell ourselves. People can act in ways that we think are compassionate, and then we find out, no, they were actually gearing up for something helpful for them the entire time. Really a matter of egoism. And he also tells us that two of these can also act in combination. So, you know, sometimes we can have actions that are mixed in terms of motives. The only good part of it, morally speaking, good in the full sense, rather than just being good for or something like that, is the motive or the incentive of compassion. The others, one is actually anti-moral, the malice, and the other is amoral or 
lacking moral value. And those who have read Immanuel Kant, his groundwork for the metaphysics of morals, will identify those three motifs quite easily. What is it that egoism and malice and compassion are about? Well, he tells us here that egoism desires one's own will. So an egoistic incentive or motive on the part of the person who is acting, not the person who is passive, is aimed at their own well-being. And he talks, you know, quite a bit about what this looks like. It includes not just continuing in existence, say preserving one's own life, but also well-being, a perfection of one's being, pleasure that can go along with it, avoiding painfulness, trouble, stuff like that. Those are fundamental dimensions of that incentive of egoism. What about malice? I do want to point out something else too here. He says that for the purpose of easier comprehension, I've simplified the above derivation of compassion as the sole source of actions of moral worth by intentionally leaving out of account the incentive of malice. Like compassion, this too is without self-interest and makes its ultimate aim the pain of another. So it's not egoistic, although it does spring out of egoism if we look at the previous chapter. What it desires is another's woe, to do damage to them, to harm them, to see them humiliated, reduced to nothing perhaps, even extinguished from existence. And it can take many different forms, ranging from envy to cruelty. You know, he actually lists off a number of sub-vices that are motivated by this fundamental anti-moral incentive of malice. And then we get to compassion. Here's something different is happening. Egoism, desiring what's good for you, right? Not really caring about other people except insofar as it conduces to what's good for you. So, you know, loving your children doesn't necessarily have to come out of compassion if you view your children as essentially like stand-ins for you or ways in which you show your moral worth to society or something like that. That's still egoistic, right? Or you just happen to like hanging out with them and it's, it's enjoyable. Malice is other-oriented rather than self-oriented. The other is the patient, you are the agent, and you're trying to make them suffer in some way. Compassion is also other-oriented, but it desires the good for other people. It desires weal as he says. And it also has to do with the other person's woe, alleviating it, preventing it, lessening it in some ways. And he tells us a couple other things that are very interesting about it. Egoism, he says, is boundless. Left to its own devices, egoism, as he says a little bit earlier, would say, screw the whole world so long as I get what I And the world indeed is in many respect a conflict of incompatible egoisms who are held in check. What about malice? He says of this, goes to the limits of extreme cruelty. So it's not boundless the way that egoism potentially is, but it can go pretty far. And where it goes is somewhere bad. And then he says, compassion goes to the length of nobleness and magnanimity. Now, this term magnanimity, if you think about it in a Aristotelian sense, or perhaps in the way that the Stoics used it, it typically means rising above and not caring about the trivial stuff. Well, 
This is not exactly the same sense of magnanimity here because compassion could extend down to the uh, very lowly and trivial. So that's, that's important to keep in mind as well. We can also talk about the actions and how we read them. As I pointed out just a little bit earlier, Schopenhauer doesn't assume that we have a kind of privileged insight into everybody else's motives or incentives. I mean, they could be lying about it. If they tell you, they could be confused about it. We can be confused about our own motives. But he does tell us, after bringing up again, you know, it says, in keeping with the previously mentioned fundamental springs of all actions, egoism, malice, and compassion, the motives that are capable generally of moving men and women, can be grouped into three general and principal classes, one's own wheel, another's woe, another's wheel. And then he says, now, if the motive of a charitable action is not from the third class, it must naturally belong to the first or the second. And he, he actually says something quite funny here. He says, well, a lot of charity, a lot of doing good to other people is motivated by egoism. Uh, you want to look good. You want to feel good about, you know, being a big giver or something like that. You want a tax break, whatever it happens to be. But you could even do it out of malice. Like you give to somebody to annoy their neighbor who you don't like. <laughs> Right? You give a present to somebody and it's very clearly a present for them, but which is, you know, promoting their wheel, but it's supposed to inflict woe on somebody else. And so, you know, we can have all sorts of differing motives. We need to look at the motivational structures rather closely in order to be able to tell what the motive, the probable motive of an action is. And so these are the things that Schopenhauer thinks are fundamentally driving and motivating us with respect to the actions that we choose and their moral evaluation on our part. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.